Welcome to the Love and Grace Podcast. My name's Joel, and today I have got via Zoom, George Wood. How are you doing, George? Doing really well, Joel. Thank you for having me on. This is pretty cool. Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, George, you've got a very interesting history and a very interesting path that the Lord has brought you down, and I would love everyone to be able to walk that path and see where you what decisions you made and, and where God led you and all the interesting things that in hindsight are are for the benefit of others when in the hard times it didn't feel like it. So uh, let's start off with where's home? Uh, right now I'm in Tampa, Florida. I've been here for since 1993. So this is pretty much home to me. Um, I grew up spending time in between here and upstate New York as a kid. And then once I graduated college, I moved down here permanently. Okay. So did you, uh, did you grow up in a Christian home? <laughs> no, did not, did not grow up in a Christian home. Um, uh, you know, I was, uh, Catholic to some degree, but, um, no, it wasn't a Christian, uh, home per se. Definitely not. Was that going to church once or twice a year, pretty much? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, as a Catholic, I made my, you know, uh, confirmation um, up until the priest kicked me out of out of school and said, don't ever come back. But that's a whole other story. But, um, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, made confirmation. And then, you know, we'd go once or once a year or so and. Um, my mother still goes uh, to the Catholic Church on occasion, and uh, definitely not something that was a spiritual experience. Let's just put it that way. Okay. Learning a little bit about your past, um, I guess the next good question is, what what happened in your family to to be a a big deciding factor in your life? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, you know, that's a really complex question. Um, you know, my life has been very complicated from very young on. Um, and, you know, as I, as I grow and uh, grow in the Lord and grow as a counselor and grow as a pastor, I, I realized more and more the different things that transpired in my childhood that still affect me on this very day. Um, you know, from being, um, you know, the youngest of five by eight years. So, um, you know, when you have that much of a time span in between the other four that were basically one right after the other, um, you're sort of the, the mistake that happened. Um, because of that, you know, my father, by the time, you know, I was in kindergarten, he'd already raised his four kids. He, he had no intention of raising another. Um, so he left my mother and he left her for a younger woman. Um, you know, my mother not understanding how to handle that in the right way, you know, blamed me inadvertently for, for him leaving. And there's a certain truth to that, I suppose. Um, and, you know, to, to top that off, when my father left, he, my oldest brother, their firstborn, left with him. Um, he was 19 at the time. So when he left with my father, um, that hurt my mother. Um, 
and then lo and behold, a year and a half later, my my brother um, died on a construction accident that my father was the you know was the general contractor on. Mm. So, yeah, I look at the complexities of that situation. My father leave with a younger woman because he didn't want to raise the youngest son, me. Uh, when he does that, my oldest brother, um, their firstborn, who my mother, you know, obviously there's a lot of an affection in between the firstborn leaves with him. Um, and then he dies um, because he's with my dad, working with my dad on my dad's job site. So as a counselor, you can look at that situation and be like, man, we can unpack that for the next three years. Mm-hmm. Um it, you know, set my, my mother into a tailspin of, you know, mental health issues and addiction issues. And um, it sent my father into major, major addiction and uh, mental health issues, um, depression, you know, unlike, uh, you know, you've ever seen. And, you know, at the same time, then there's this kid, me, that is growing up through this whole time frame Um with two people, you know, that they were ill-equipped to, to handle the situation. They didn't have, you know, any spiritual guidance around them and they didn't have any, um, you know, counseling or, or people like that back in those days, that was even more rare than it is now. So I, I don't hold any resentment towards my parents. They did the best that they could, but um, it's definitely impacted me in my life. Um, from a very young age on did did that open up you open you up to being um against your father or against your mother in some way or did you still still see yourself as the as the problem that that all happened you know that's that's something that you know we adapt to as human beings we figure out there's a certain connection that all human beings need. And um, we learn, we figure out how to adapt to, to, to get whatever we need. It's just, unfortunately, it all often comes in very maladaptive and broken manners. So, you know, I would uh, vacillate between loving my father or loving my mother, but neither one really showing me that love and, you know, come down to, I'd come and spend the summers down here in Florida with my dad. But meanwhile, he'd be, you know, in such depression that he, he would just work all day and drink all night. And I'd be, you know, just as a kid, I was just here and we lived out in the country just, so I'd be out there just like basically alone all day long. And, um, you know, meanwhile, you know, go, you know, you're, you're in, you want to be loved as a kid so mm-hmm. bad, you know, you just want to be accepted and loved. And so you're constantly fighting for that. And so, you know, my mother wanting me back home, wanting me there, wanted me, but, you know, it was like innate in me to be able to understand that there was a, more of a friction between my father and her than anything about me. And so, you know, wanting to get my father's love and then going back to New York where my mother was there and loved me, but yet I was still fighting for that father's love, um, you know, so it, it just became this very toxic way of um of growing up um which led me to you know all kinds of ways of acting out which would later you know destroy me um and destroy everybody around me um 
you know, whether it be um, the sex that, you know, early on I was taught that that's how you become a man um, or the, the drinking and the drugs that, you know, either made your mark as a man or, you know, helped you, uh, you know, hide from the pain. So sex, drugs, drinking um, from a very early age on, um, you know, marked my life because of this. Mm. From what from what I understand of your story, you did not really get into a, an understanding of Jesus until later in life. So yeah. did you uh, – high school and college, those, those – those things were always a problem dealing, going through, moving forward past those, right? You know, it's the weirdest thing. I was able to um, excel at certain things for whatever reason. Um, I was a really good football player um, and, uh, you know, did well in school. So I was drinking and, and doing drugs and getting scholarship offers to play football. So, um you know, there was this weirdness where I started to get the affirmation I needed from the women that I would sleep with or from the accolades I could earn. And so I somehow was able to use that to make it through high school, to make it through college, um, to make it even somewhat for a few years out of college in the business world and, and being successful. But you know, eventually it was a, a house of cards that would all come, you know, come crumbling down. And it was much later where, um, you know, I finally met Jesus on on this long, lonely road of, of destiny for me. Um, but that was, you know, Joel, that was after multiple suicide attempts, multiple failures of um, just in life of everything I attempted to do. And, you know, basically like, you know, the old saying goes that eventually your time runs out. And so my drinking and the drugs that I was able to still succeed at was, it, it had a limited time frame, and eventually, um, the time ran out and then I no longer could succeed at things. And so, um, you know, mentally, I, I went through a whole entire breakdown after that. So, what what was the point that that God that either you you found a relationship with God or or just heard about this person that wants to to help you through life? So, I went through this time frame of a few few years of really bottoming out in life. Um, I had you know gotten married, uh, had, you know, was married for five, six years, decided to have a child. Everything was going good, uh, to relative speak. Um, but that's when, you know, everything started to fall apart and I had nervous breakdown and ended up in psychiatric wards and on all kinds of medication and, um, you know, losing job after job and, and whatnot, and I just couldn't stop drinking and trying to destroy myself. And so my wife at the time, you know, said, hey, I didn't sign up for this. Um, I can't do this, I'm out. And so, you know, she divorced me, took my child, um, 
pretty much at that point, everybody in my life was like, we don't, we don't know how to handle this. We're not equipped to handle you. Um, and in their defense, I was, I'm an extreme person. And so when I was in my addiction, I was not somebody easy to, to, to deal with. Um, and so I kind of was shunned by everyone. And I went through just this period of um, getting harder and harder into harder drugs and, um, you know, in and out of being homeless, in and out of detox ward after psychiatric ward, multiple suicide attempts. Um, and the strangest thing happened. I was um, in a psychiatric ward in Tampa and I had this strange desire to try to reach out to my dad. I hadn't talked to him in years and um, reached out to him. I knew I was about to be released. I had nowhere to go and said to him, you know, basically, hey, I'm actually in Tampa. I'm about to get released from the psychiatric ward. Could you help me? And I had, I've never asked him for help. Um, and, you know, he said, you know, I was, you know, I would love to, son, but I'm actually up in Georgia right now. And, you know, I'm, I'm just not there. I'm sorry about that. And, and, and honestly, at the time, I was just grateful he took the call because normally mm -hmm. I couldn't even contact him. And so I left the psychiatric ward and I was just, you know, walking. I was here in Tampa and um, I went into a Publix uh, to get some water. And as I walked into the Publix here in Tampa, um, who do I run into? But my dad. And how long after that call? 20 minutes. Oh, wow. So obviously he, he lied to me and was right here. And that just like was this shot through my heart of like a pain unlike anything I'd felt. And uh, and I felt a lot of pain at this point. And I was just in such disbelief that I just walked out and just started walking down this road. And, you know, I just cried out to God and said, listen, I'm, I'd always known God was real. I've never doubted that. I just thought I was doomed to go to hell. Um, and I just cried out to God and I said, listen, I, I know you're not doing this for your amusement. So either kill me, let me die or stop this mm -hmm. because there's no way that you're finding this amusing, you know, watching me try to kill myself, fail, go into a psychiatric ward, get out, have hope, lose hope, go back in. So I knew that God wasn't doing that. And I knew he had the power to do something about it. And so, you know, after that prayer, I was walking and all of a sudden I got a phone call and um, it was this guy that I'd met in a detox, I don't know, year before or whatever. And he was like, hey, are you all right? And I said, am I all right? Why, why are you asking me that? And he's like, I just had the strangest feeling from God that I was supposed to call you that you were in a lot of trouble. And I was, I was just like, yeah, I, I need help. And he came and picked me up. And that was my first experience with like a, a God that loves you and sees you right in your pain. Mm -hmm. This really amazing father that loves you beyond anything we can understand enough to call me, you know, have somebody call me as I'm walking down this road. And that guy ended up, you know, he picked me up and he ended up taking me to um, this 
you know, program, but it wasn't the program. It was this little old man that was the the guy that I would live with. And this little old man just showed me Jesus. And he became this spiritual father to me who um, told me all about salvation and told me all about, you know, the father and the love of the father and grace upon grace upon grace. And um, I really experienced Jesus through that man. And I, he's still in my life to this day. Mm. But it was that was my come to Jesus moment, that walking down a road, literally walking down a road and crying out to God and having him answer and saving my life. So um, if I were to follow the narrative of every recovery story I've ever heard, okay, not every recovery, but a majority of them is I found Jesus, Jesus found me, and everything's fine. Was that any different to you, how your, your experience? Yeah, it was about 180 degrees different. So um, absolutely not how that goes. And, and in all honesty, I've, I've only seen that once or twice in my life. Um, fully, listen, I'm a fully gift, you know, I walk in the gifts of the Spirit. I believe in the divine filling of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, prophecy, healing, deliverance. I do. Mm -hmm. When it comes to this, I believe that there's a process in which we actually grow closer to God that is more challenging than the, I cried out to God and then I never wanted to drink again. My story was, you know, yeah, I met that old man and he showed me Jesus and he showed me the love of Jesus. But then I, man, I, I, I relapsed and I failed and I relapsed and I failed and I became a pastor of a, of a church and I failed and was excommunicated by that church. Oh, um, I, I've, you know, I've seen, it's so much good and highs and just, woo, this is amazing, only to be followed by why did I just go get high again? Um, time and time again. And, you know, that same old man that took me in and loved me and showed me grace. Also, it got to a point one day when he said, no, you can't come back in. You're done. And, and cut me off for a little while um, so I could do whatever needed to be done, you know, turn me over to the devil so that I may escape in the end, the flames of this life. Right. So my story was come to Jesus, but then it was another couple, two, three years of just real hard, hard work, hard, you know, picking yourself back up, going back to the father. And, and I almost feel like, you know, in a way that is grace because if you just come to him once, and never fall, then you really don't know how just graceful and loving he is mm. because he'll continue to pick you up. So, you know, I, I learned that the heart of the father is for us to be completely aligned with him, but he'll let us, you know, go outside of that alignment and, and feel just what it's like without him. But he's always there, but he's always there. Wow. So after coming into an understanding of Jesus, what, what was the process of of getting, if I can say, getting over drugs or getting over alcohol or getting over bad addictions? What 
was there a one-time thing or was it a process for you? Well, if I ever get over addiction, I'll let you know. <laughs> so, um, no, man, it's a, it's a journey. Um, there is no, I can say this. I can say I was a massive alcoholic. All right, I, I did every, I've done every drug there is to do. You think of it, I've done it. And I've probably done it a lot more than once. So I'm not denying that. But my fallback tended to be alcohol for whatever reason. It was accessible, you know, it was whatever. Um, alcohol was the thing that I felt like I was never going to be able to escape. Alcohol was the thing that I was like, there's just no way I'm ever going to be able to quit this. Um, I I have not had an urge to drink in in... 13 years. So that is true. I, I don't have a desire to drink. And I'm very, very grateful for that. I've had a desire to do every other drug. Um, so it's a it's kind of a weird thing. Um, why the alcohol? I don't know. Maybe God just knew that was the thing that I was most fearful of. I, I'm not sure. Um, but I just don't have a desire to drink. And I, and I haven't. And I'm very grateful for that. But every other thing, you know, you still have, I still have steps that I have to make sure are in place so I don't fall. Um, so is this, is this having um, a good support group around you? It's, it's um, everything. It's everything from knowing yourself fully, which I believe is the answer to um, all of life's problems, but understanding and knowing yourself, knowing your temptations, knowing your weaknesses, knowing your strengths, knowing the devil and how he uses yourself against yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's important. And the, the community um, of people around you is critical to um, not just staying sober, but it's critical to fulfillment. Um, I'm a big, big believer in community um, that we don't experience the fullness of God without people around us to experience that through. So community is huge. Um, people that help you with your decisions and help you um, call you to, you know, call you out when you're doing things you shouldn't be doing. Um, so it's sort of this mix of community around you, knowing yourself, putting the right, you know, boundaries in between you and the things that could lead you astray. Um, it's, it's recovery is a lifestyle. It's not a one-time thing. It's a lifestyle in which not just you have to live, but the people closest to you have to live it with you, which is part of why I, I think that so many people fail in recovery, mm -hmm. um, not just with addiction, but with mental health issues as well, because mental health is very much the same thing as addiction when it comes to how do we live a life of glorifying God and how do we live a life of peace and fulfillment? And you have to do it through recovery. Both of them take recovery. And in that, the people around you have to know how to live out your recovery with you and be willing. So has this has this given you new eyes to to recovery? Have you? I guess I guess the question is what 
What has what have you been able to do with this new information for you? I actually think your first question was actually kind of on point. Like, is this giving you a new view of, of recovery? Um, I could look at, you know, the years up until this point, you know, 14 years sober now. But over that 14 years, I believe different things throughout those 14 years, not just recovery wise, but theologically wise. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to get into a theological debate, but there was a time in my recovery that I believed if you died in sin that you went to hell. So, I, you know, early on, I believed, you know, there's a few scriptures that you can look at through that lens of once you've tasted, you can't go back. And so early on, I, be, I, I believed that like, oh, no, man, I can't. If I relapse, I could go to hell. But I think that almost kept me sober in those years. Mm-hmm. And so as my theology evolved, um, you know, I'm just one of those people that sought after knowledge upon knowledge about recovery. And what I've seen, I, I've went the whole spectrum of thinking it's completely the addict's choices to realizing actually in addiction, we don't make choices. It's we don't have the power to choose. That's the problem. Um, Understanding, you know, that genetics do play a part, but so does the environment around you. Um, I've went from not thinking that anything that happened as, you know, prior to today mattered. And I know a lot of people that think that, but to recognizing, oh, wait a minute, the first 15 years of my life shaped me and still matter if I want to be a more complete person moving forward. I need to address that. Um, To thinking, you know, 12 steps are the way, to thinking not don't use the 12 steps at all, just use Jesus, to thinking, wait a minute, maybe I need to mix 12 steps with Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, so I've ran the gamut of, of looking at recovery through a different lens in order to continue to grow and to continue to help other people, because pretty early on, I realized that my call on my life is to help the lost and the broken, um, not just in addiction, but just those that feel completely lost and alone. My The call on my life is to help them to know that they are not alone and that they are loved and that they are worthy. And often that is people in addiction and in mental health. And so everything I've learned over the years, it's like in the moments that I need it most, the Holy Spirit is able to to help me to pull from my past experience and knowledge to utilize it to help the person sitting in front of me. So I don't don't go into any situation thinking it's black and white. This is what I'm going to say. This is what I'm going to do. I go into every single situation saying, Holy Spirit, what am I to say and what am I to do? Now I got 14 years of, of, you know, wisdom behind me to pull from Mm -hmm. because everybody's different. Every situation's different and everything needs to be looked at as it's different. We all, we all have different paths and different, uh, tendencies that I don't want to say just uh, define us, but we're all different. I mean, we're not, thank God we're not the same. Thank yeah. God, thank God you're different than me. If I was in those situations, I I doubt I would have made, made it through to the position you are. But the flip side, you're able to take that and share and help other people get through 
recovery. Um, what's what's the national average on on uh, on traditional organizations with recovery? Well, it's not even just traditional. It's it's um, all recovery. Um, is basically, you know, the old saying is if you take 10 people to enter recovery, you know, it's two to three people will make it a year sober or more. Mm. And that's, you know, pretty standard. You know, some might say three or four, but it's usually one to three people will make it a year sober. And I'm being gracious with that because some believe it's 1.5 how you get a half person. I don't know, but it's about 1.5 out of every 10, make it to a year sober. And then what's even harder to believe is that those that make it a year out of those that, you know, made it, you know, only like 40% of them will make it to two years. Mm. But what's encouraging is the 40% of those, the, the ones that make it to two years sober Typically, 80% of them will make it to three, four, and five years sober. So, so I guess w- along with that information, um, you got to start a couple projects. What? W- let us know what, um, what projects you've got to start. So, you know, um, after getting sober, I, you know – trying to figure out what it is I was supposed to do with my life. And, and, you know, through one series of event after another, um, I realized that I, you know, needed to help people in addiction. Um, part of that was, you know, I, I was, you know, working with a lot of homeless and working with, you know, different, you know, people that were struggling with different things. And then uh, my sister died from a drug overdose. Um, and this was back in 2009. And after she died, I realized I'm like, I need to do something more officially. I need to start something like intentional. Mm-hmm. And so I had this idea to start the Timothy Initiative, um, a ministry that works with men suffering from brokenness of all different types, you know, addiction and mental health or addiction and homelessness or whatever. Um and lo and behold, right when we were getting to ready to start, which was seven months after my sister died from her overdose, my brother died from a drug overdose. Mm. So literally, like the moment I'm set to roll out this new minute organization or ministry, whatever you want to call it, to, to help those with addiction, because my sister died, I had this great idea, but then my brother dies. And so, you know, there's just real like, moment in my life where like either a I got no place to be trying to help people I can't even help my own family so who do I am who do I think I am to to try this um or b you know this is exactly why you need to do it mm-hmm. and so um you know that you know that verse revelation 12:11 you know it's by the you know, the blood of the testimony or the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony that they love not their lives so much as to shrink from death. Just really somebody spoke that over me. Um, and, you know, we went forward and we started the, I started the Timothy initiative where, you know, that was back in 2010. And we, you know, currently we have four houses and house about 35 men. 
Um, and I'm just really, really amazed at how we've seen God move um, and do so in a way that defies logic on every, on every front. Um, we mentioned the average time that people get, can stay sober in traditional or even faith-based recovery. And God has really done something in us where um, our men make it to three and a half years sober. That's our average. Um, 90% of the men that come into the Timothy Initiative make it a year. And almost 100% of them make it to three years. Mm. That's that's crazy. That's like crazy. I literally have a leadership team right now of every guy has six years. Six years clean, sober with us. That's just not done in this in the recovery industry. Um, and we all, it's just this amazing, it's just this amazing organization that God has used to show people the power of community and to the power of love and grace, acceptance, and how that plays such a big part in whether or not a person can overcome the obstacles in their life. We're not even very good at the recovery stuff we do. We're just really good at loving like Jesus. Mm. You know, but we're not, we don't have great formulas and we're not completely like on top of everything, but we are really good at showing the love of Jesus and the acceptance of Jesus in a way that, man, we've just defied logic with how our men can make it this long sober. Um, and then, you know, out of that, over the last few years, recognizing how that power of connection and that power of love and acceptance is what recovery needs and seeing just how, you know, the world right now doesn't understand that. And they don't understand that around mental health issues and they don't understand that around suicidal um, temptation or, you know, thoughts or whatever. Um and for whatever reason in my life, I've just been around a lot of people that have committed suicide. And um, basically, you know, over the last few years, I've lost a lot of really close people um, to death by suicide. And um, out of that, I felt like I needed to do something. And so I started an organization called the Sober Truth Project. And the Sober Truth Project basically um, is a, a platform where um, we hope to educate and empower uh, people to understand recovery different than they do now so that we can see that we all play a part in, in a person's recovery, whether we know it or not. And that's not just recovery and addiction. It's recovery and mental health. It's recovery to the person who's thinking of taking their life right now um, because they need to recover from that. But we need to provide a loving and caring uh, world in which they can even share that. And we just don't have that right now. And so, you know, really the Sober Truth Project just aims it, to, you know, to provide hope and, you know, a queer message of you're not alone to people that really need to hear it. So, let me let me backtrack just a tiny bit. What is what is the the thought process behind the name of the Timothy Initiative? So, I was um, when I was working with a lot of like homeless people, and back in the day, I um, would do like little construction projects, and they'd 
come and work with me and I, you know, pay him at the end of the day and whatnot. And so a friend of mine's like, man, you should really think of starting an organization. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. And finally I start, you know, started the idea of the Timothy initiative. And I went to him and told him, I was like, yeah, I'm starting it. I'm like, I don't know what we're going to call ourselves. And he's like, man, you should call him the Timothy initiative. I was like, wow, what? That, that was quick. He goes, but it's what you do. I go, what do you mean it's what I do? He goes, First Corinthians 4, it's Paul talking to Timothy. And I'm like, it is. You know, and, and basically, you know, in Corinthians, Paul's saying, you know, we all have fathers, but not many of you have spiritual fathers. Mm. And, you know, take my beloved Timothy, who I've shown every way of my life. He can tell you who I am, show you who I am. He is the example you should use. And so if you look at this relationship between Paul and Timothy, you know, he, he didn't take Timothy out to coffee at Starbucks and tell him, don't sleep with your girlfriend. That's in the Bible that that's a sin. That's not what he did. He, he walked and worked alongside Timothy in, in this relationship of sharing life, doing life, and almost like, you know, I'm not your, I'm better than you. I'm just with you. I just know Jesus and you need to know him too. Mm -hmm. And so the idea was, you know, Hey, the Timothy initiative, we're going to show, show people, you know, Jesus by walking alongside them and working with them. Awesome. Are there any, any really good stories that you would want to share that came? Obviously everyone is a good story, but is there one that's like stands out of, of someone who came in and, and you guys were able, I say you guys were able to help, but God was able to show you how to help this person. And, and they, well, how about one of your leaders? One of you said six years, someone has been mm -hmm. with you for six years. So, you know, it's, you're, you're going to provoke jealousy. Now it's like, if I pick a story, okay. Like, okay. So, let's, story let me, now? let me preface this by we're short on time. And I want to get a story out there. I want some. I want no. one of these stories to come out there. So, not to provoke jealousy against anyone else. Yeah, they're all good. All the stories are good. Um, you know, geez, that's a good one. Um, I, you know, I think I'll, I'll use Mike just because Mike is uh, he's this crazy, big, big-hearted, big personality type of guy. Um, but when Mike came in, um, he, you know, basically he was a 95 pound skinny drugged out, you know, guy that was like on the verge of death. And at the time, some of the guys that had been in the ministry, they, they knew him and they're like, we got to go help this guy. We, we were in a drug program with him before he's going to die. We got to go get him. And they, they literally went and, and the story goes like this. Mike was wherever he was. And this big old truck pulls up next to him and like five guys that are like six foot, 250 pounds each jump out and just like grab him. And he's all stoned. So he's like, what's going on here? And they throw him in the back of this truck and they're like, you're coming with us. And he's, you know, the story's like, he's like, I'm like, what is it? I don't know. He didn't even know what happened. He's like, yeah, I owe, owe people money or what? And they, they brought him to the Timothy initiative and, <laughs> um, you know, right Right from day one, it was kind of this like strange, like, this funny story of like he's kidnapped and we brought him in. But then on top of that, he's he like realized he wanted to be here. So he he's like lying to me and tell me all these stories. So I'll let him stay like, you know, I'm really good at 
construction and I used to own a painting company and cause we have, we do construction with the guys to help them learn a trade. And, mm-hmm. and I don't care if you're good or not good. That's not why we help people. So, but it was funny because as time progressed, all those things were lies. He didn't know how to paint, didn't know how to do construction. You know, he's just a really good talker. But um, when you know his story, you know that, you know, he he died, was uh, in a coma for three months at mm. one point in his life um, from drugs. He lost his daughter at that point um, to the state of Florida. Um basically you know in and out of prison that type of scenario and came in with us and over this process of time he um you know wanted to start talking to his daughter and you know i was hard on him and i said not until you got more time i don't want you to get in her life and then she loses you again and just doing the doing the work and it, i mean he literally started meeting his daughter would supervise visits and one of our leaders would go and sit with him so he could meet with her and you know watched him win his daughter back from the state of florida and so that's pretty cool to see one of you guys like beat the state of florida to to get his daughter back but what was really cool about it was you know I know him. He's got multiple felonies, doesn't have college education or a high school education. He So how's he going to get a job? How's he going to support this kid? And then, like, where's he going to live with this kid? And not wanting him to be, you know, fail at that. And so my wife and I, um, in our community, we live in community, we decided to take one of our um, offices on our property we were using for an office and we decided to convert it into an apartment and not tell, we weren't, didn't tell him, but we basically converted it into this apartment and he knew we were doing that, but he didn't know, he thought we were just going to rent it out. And, you know, just there's, I'll never have a moment like this again, but just this moment of like, I, I said, Hey, I need to talk to you and going into this room. And I'm like, you know, so you've been doing really good lately. And, now you're, you know, you're getting your daughter back and how you feeling about that and him being like, yeah, you know, nervous about what we're going to do and, and just being like, what do you think about coming and joining our community with us? And him just looking at me like, what? And I'm like, what do you think of this apartment being yours? And uh, it's just really God, man, to see, you know, see somebody that moved. Um it's just amazing, you know, and he's brought his daughter in and they live with us now and they have for three years. And just two weeks ago or well, three weeks now, um, he, we helped him get married and, um, I was the best man in his wedding and, uh, and you know, now him and his wife and his daughter live with us and, and it's just, it's just God, man. It's just, it's just Mm. beautiful. It's transformation. He's now the director of the Timothy Initiative. Um, he actually runs the organization and does it better than me. So that's a blessing. Um, and just overall, he's just he's just an amazing guy. Amazing. Wow, this is a, this is amazing. I got to uh, I got to interview. I say interview. Got to talk with uh, Chuck Ammons, and I believe he's close, not too far from you, in Tampa. But he he's done um foster care so the flip side of of the situation where getting um being able to get 
um, dad or mom to be able to get back on their feet enough so they can bring bring the bring their child back into their lives and one of the stories that when when Chuck tells it it's it's um amazing to to get to the point where you say or he he got to say dad here's your daughter being able to reunite and and yeah just just when things can come back together back to back to a form of wholeness back to yeah. the way they were designed mm-hmm. um is is beautiful and whenever that can can happen if that's if that's someone um who's lost their child because of mm-hmm. of choices they made or or the flip side of of mom or dad made bad decisions but we're back together Those, you know here's what i think i think that you know church we've we've just gotten away from what the heart of Jesus is. And so now it's all about how good of a speaker the pastor is or the preacher, how good is the worship band or how well is the Sunday service put on or how good are the, are the small groups or Mm -hmm. all that type of stuff where if you're not a believer in Jesus, you're not going to be attracted to any of that, Mm -hmm. any of that, none of that. If I don't believe in God, I already know that stuff happens. So why do I care if it's any good? It's not interesting to me. But restoration, on the other hand, restoration to wholeness, restoration to the way things were intended, like you just said, that's intriguing. If we had a bunch of people going around and, and helping the foster care system and helping those that are broken and addicted and restoring lives, we wouldn't have this massive fall off of, of people coming to church. We wouldn't. We, you know, Christianity wouldn't see numbers falling the way they are. We just worry too much about the wrong things. And I'm not saying those things aren't important. I love a good church service as much as the next Christian. Unfortunately, non-Christians don't care. Right. And so we have to look at like how are you how are we impacting our neighborhoods? How are we impacting the hurting and the broken around us? And if we don't begin to open our eyes to see that, and if we want to focus on the wrong things, we're just we're headed in a really bad direction. We really are. Well, we've we've seen that take place even even uh accelerated more because of the pandemic. But just, I mean, I guess my my thing, two big things have been kind of my focus recently is the separate uh, uh, us and them, where there's mm-hmm. there's us the in crowd and then there's the other people. Um, I feel like if we can cut that away and realize it's just us, period. There is nobody else. There is no outsider. We are all one big body. Um, it seems uh, this this one's weird, weird thought, but it seems like we're as the body of Christ. We've been so excited about amputation. Where yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I even even inside the the church congregation. Like, oh, I don't want that. I don't want to be around that person. That person's weird or this person. 
or or I this is my group. I love you guys and and those other people. You know, God's working on them. God could be using you to work on them. Uh, I, I touched this in the past few episodes. I think Ronnie Barker brought it up. I think I can't remember the uh, the lady, but um, she said that God has no hands and feet except for us. He has he has no way of doing anything except yeah. through us. And to see someone in your position where you're realizing it's it's about how I communicate, how I show my life, not only just not just show, but what am I really doing? What are my real actions? It's living out what you believe instead of instead of saying it's not just lip service. It's actually understanding right. this is the way not only not only the way the, the way God lived, the way Jesus lived, but the way that he has commanded us to live. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go, be, do, mm-hmm. reach out. If if we can if we get past oh, I've said this many times, if we can get past the our own nose, realize that some in most cases we can't see past our nose because we're so focused on us and me and stuff. But we can look out. There are many people that are in their own way screaming out for help. Mm-hmm. And we turn a blind eye. Maybe maybe it's because we don't know what, what we should do. What's the right thing to do? Um, yeah. I would say I've I've tried to help um, someone who was addicted, and I tried so hard, but just me on my own, I I was not able to do the I I would I tried to be as much as Jesus as I could be to the to this person, but I still failed. If if you could say that, because I didn't know what what's the right thing to do if I don't know. I guess it's like jumping in a car and you've only driven automatics your entire life. You jump in a manual and you're like, I don't know how to get this thing to work. You, you know, you understand yeah. parts of it. You understand there's a steering wheel. You understand there's a gas and a brake, but there's more aspects that you don't know. And along these lines, I didn't know. I tried, but it it wasn't the right thing. Um. I like to believe what they were saying, saying, hey, you're helping me. Thank you. You're showing God to me. You're showing Jesus to me. I like seeing real people like that. But when you get to the point where you, like like Paul said, I, I turned him over to Satan. I can't do anything else with him. I can't, I, I, the idea of, of leading someone to water, or leading a horse to water, but you can't make the horse drink. It's... It's living. I guess it's more living it out than, than just in passing. But I'm. Yeah, I'm I think you know, Joel. Not, not to interrupt you, but it's just like you know, I, I, I know that problem, and I, and I'm. I mean, I've had countless, countless people, you know, say that very thing. You know, where I tried, I tried to help this person, or I tried to do that, and it. And the reality is, yeah, you you, you you make something an anomaly like a one-time thing or whatever, there's probably a good chance it's not going to go great. 
but it, it's it's really about raising our awareness to how you know this is let me just say this i think unfortunately the answer to this is a long term answer and everybody just wants the short term fix how we, do i we, help the we, homeless guy in the corner right we live in a microwave society we right. want we want it now we want that right answer now and, it, and it's not it's like we have to change society to become a more loving and participatory society where we're in each other's lives, we're carried, we're being Jesus in the day to day, where then these problems of a, a homelessness or an addiction problem doesn't happen down the road. It doesn't answer the, the question of what do I do with the guy that's strung out on my steps right now, but it, but it, I'm sorry, I can't help that guy either, and I'm, a, I'm an expert at this, but we can try to be more like Jesus so that these problems happen less and less in the future. And, and that's really the, the answer. It's going to be, it's a long-term answer. Everything else is just a short-term fix. Um, make yourself more aware of what resources are around you type of thing. And that's good to know, but to be able to help people, it's a long-term, it's a long-term answer. Um, not to necessarily have people coming to you to get those answers, but what what are ways that people can get a hold of you? Um, well, actually, yeah, we do try to have the resources to facilitate getting people to answers. Um, I may not have the answer. My, you may call me and I may just send you to somebody else, but I know where to send people. Um, you can, you know, people can go to, to either website and contact me through there if they remember that. So, you know, www.timothyinitiative.org or www.sobertruthproject.org. Both websites can, can get you back to me. Um, if you can't remember that, you can just remember George at, you know, either George at Sober Truth Project is my email or George at Timothy Initiative. I have both emails. Okay. George, we're coming up on the end of my uh, end of our time together, and I just want to say thank you so much for joining. Um, I would love to have you back on, and we could dig deeper into into what you're doing and your projects. Um, this this is this is very important, very important time, and I think we are. Definitely getting yeah. into a point where we need to be more aware of the other, oh. as they say. And so. um, I just, I, I, I'm glad that that uh, we got to sit down and talk. And I want to I want to thank you guys. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, remember, comment, like, subscribe. Um, get this out where it's, uh, we have a video version on YouTube and we have audio versions on Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, and others. Um, but get this out. People, people need to know what, what's going on in the world and not only know about it, but do something. And when we, when we have the knowledge of something, we need to share it. And when, when we can get this, get this word out to people that need it and be able to move on and get, move society on because we're, society is, is, 
when we say fallen, it's it's we've let it go, and we need to get it back. So this it's a little thing, love and grace. It's a big, big situation, and I want you guys to join us next time and enjoy this. And we'll see you next time right here on the Love and Grace podcast.